You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Professor Liad Mutrik. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I would like young people to keep an open mind and to be able to extract information from multiple sources and gain interdisciplinary training. So if you are a computer scientist, read philosophy. If you are a philosopher, read neuroscience or whatever is interesting for you. And don't be ignorant. It's important for climate change. It's important for politics, for sure. It's important for science. And it's important for who you are. So my kind of aspiration, if I could have some genie came and gave me one wish, well, I, I would like three. So after I got my loved ones to be healthy and happy, that's the most important thing. The next wish for me would be to continue learning throughout my life. And if I can also teach, that's a plus. But this ability to evolve and chase the truth, irrespective of which type of truth you're interested in, which field, what's the burning question that you want to answer. But find it yourself. Don't believe others. Build yourself on the knowledge of others. Learn from others. But develop this kind of inner sense of again, critical thinking that allows you to say, this is what I believe in, this is what I don't, and leave that to your children as well. So you, you, you spoke about past and present and future. I hope our future generations will build on, will cherish knowledge and kind of generate new knowledge, but qualitative knowledge, and just allow us to know more about ourselves, about the world we live in, about other human beings, and be respectful of others. Be kind. I think that critical thinking, especially in our day and age, is probably one of the most important mechanisms that we should endure our children with, not to accept things as they are, not especially not to accept things as they seem in social media. Always question not only others, but also oneself. Try to take the other perspective. Try to question your beliefs. Ask yourself how many of those beliefs are genuine and how, how many have been shaped by past experiences, by manipulations, and so on and so forth. And I think that if we can build a society with critical thinkers, self-doubters, and modest people, then we would live in a better place. And I can only hope, you know, this message is heard. Liad Mudrik, you know, how do you know that you're conscious? We think about this now with the development of AI. How do you know that your consciousness, how do you define your sense of self and your perception? Thank you. It's actually a very interesting question because our own consciousness is something that we as scientists don't quite understand yet. But on the other hand, it's the phenomena that we are most intimately familiar with. So when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to get any proof for being conscious because you simply are. You experience the world, you see how it looks, you taste the taste of the food that you're eating, you see the colors, you smell the smells, you hear the sounds. So as far as I'm concerned, there is nothing to prove about my own consciousness. But then the question becomes way more and more complicated when we look at species or systems that are more distant from us. So are animals conscious? Are fetuses conscious? Is an AI system conscious? You know, these are very, very big questions. And if I go back to you, I have a good enough reason to suppose that you are conscious because I know that I am, and I know it because I feel it, I sense it. And I know that you and I are fairly similar in our built 
the way our nervous system is built and the way our body functions. So when I connect all these pieces of information, it seems quite reasonable to assume that you are conscious, although I cannot know for sure. As far as I'm concerned, you might be one of these Westworld robots. Yes, indeed. And one distinction seems to be just the things that we don't really have control of. I think what we talk about our consciousness as opposed to talking about machine learning, which may be highly intelligent because it's a crowdsourced brain, you know, compound. But it's these things like just our biological processes, our limbic system, things we don't necessarily think about that are not even in our conscious. We define what makes us conscious by things that I feel operate on the unconscious, like our breathing and these things that we didn't have control of. Our language is an artificial system or the things that we make, like if we make it out of plastic, we say that's not a conscious thing. It's a a man-made thing. Yeah. So I think that all these things that you mentioned, like breathing and all the activity that goes on in our body that we don't control and we are often also unaware of, these are all necessary conditions for me to be a conscious creature. If I wouldn't breathe, then yeah, probably wouldn't have any consciousness left, right? Because I wouldn't be alive. But the question is, what is needed over and above these necessary conditions that make me a conscious creature. And maybe we should define what we mean when we talk about consciousness. So when I say that I am a conscious creature, I mean that I don't only analyze information about the world or not only even respond to the world, because you can think about, you know, even a thermostat responds to the world. But when I sense the world, I don't only process information, I also have a qualitative experience. Adopting Thomas Nagel's famous, you know, title of his paper, it feels like something, in his case to be a bat, in our case to be me. It feels like something to drink coffee, right? So the question is, what allows us as human beings, not only to process information, but also to experience it? And this is what we are trying to understand, basically. And I I should say, I said us as human beings, but I think that animals also have such conscious experiences. So I don't think that there is any experiment that could tell you if there is a soul that is non-physical. I think that at the end of the day, this is a philosophical, a metaphysical discussion that could be determined by arguments and not experiment. That's my own position. Within that field of views, I am a physicalist. So I think that our mind is magnificent and amazing and physical. I think it's fully determined by the brain. You can use any word you want in order to describe the relations, although these words matter. I I, I don't think it is separate from the brain with respect to substance. I don't think there is another type of substance. But I don't think it makes it any less marvelous than it is. And I agree with you. We can change by changing the way we think. We can influence our body. Let's just think about a placebo. It's probably one of the most robust phenomena we know in medicine, right? I give you a fake pill and you start to feel better. Why? Because the way we perceive also ourselves is influenced by our priors, going back to what we discussed earlier in this conversation. So if you believe that you got some cure, that belief on its own has an effect on your immune system and on the state of the body. That, of course, doesn't mean that we can counteract every disease by thinking positively. I wish we could, but there is definitely a very strong bond between mind and body and brain. And I would argue that everything 
in that bond happens within the physical domain. So I think that, yes, consciousness comes before that adoption of language and all these other sophisticated things. It's so fascinating. I think that they're dual, but they're really part of the same. For me as an artist, I tend to to blend things. So I think that possibly as an artist, and I think that many artists or particularly writers are very fascinated in both their conscious mind, but probably maybe even more so with their unconscious mind, because they spend so much time thinking, how does my brain work? Where do my ideas come from? There's so much up here. And so I'm as much fascinated with the unconscious where I feel like many of the creative ideas might at least get their start. Could you tell us a little Mm. bit about that relationship between the conscious and the unconscious mind? I've been always amazed when I heard people like writers who say, Sometimes I write and the words just come out of me and I don't control them. And sometimes I'm even surprised by what my characters are doing while I'm writing the book. And I've always been fascinated by that. First of all, because as a scientist, that doesn't really happen to me. (laughs) You know, when I write a paper, I feel that I'm in control. Although if you think about it very deeply, many of our ideas just kind of come to us as if they are uninvited even. You take a shower and all of a sudden you say, oh, I have this idea or that idea. So I think it's our ability to control our own kind of flow uh, of mind is fairly limited. Sometimes you have thoughts and ideas that you didn't invite, going back to, to the example I gave before. And that's a big question. How does that happen? What in your brain allows you to have these seemingly spontaneous ideas? However, that's not the question that we study in the lab, unfortunately, because think about it, it would be very hard to kind of construct an experiment where you are able to summon these uninvited ideas. Or we can also psychologically program ourselves to have confidence, to achieve things, visualization. So what we do with language is very powerful. Can you go into that a bit? So I think that one of the challenges to our field is to also try and find experimental paradigms that would allow us not only to study these types of conscious and unconscious processes that are very interesting, but also the types that you were referring to as an artist which I find fascinating. Yes, and you can feel free in this conversation to explore areas that you might not explicitly focus on in your lab because I imagine it's the groundwork. The other thing is we can psychologically program ourselves to have confidence, to achieve things, visualization. So what we do with language is very powerful. Can you go into that a bit more? I think it's language and knowledge in in general. And, And there is an ongoing discussion about how much our basic perception is affected by language and knowledge on realms that typically are classified as cognition. So to what extent does our cognition affect perception itself? And I belong to those researchers who think that it it does. And we have shown in the lab, for example, that when I present you with an image that violates your expectation. So for example, there is a person and he's drinking, but instead of drinking from a soda can, he's drinking from a potato. We have perception and we have cognition and they don't interact. But I, as I said before, think that they do and that our cognition affects our perception and not only our perception. And now I'm going beyond what we study in the lab and I'm kind of speculating and extrapolating. That also pertains to day life, to politics, to the reality you construct for yourself. And you know that I'm now in the middle of a very complicated situation here in Israel. And one thing that I've been uh, with an ongoing war that started with a brutal and barbaric attack by Hamas terrorists and is now turned into a full-fledged war with Israel. So I think this is a very 
good and sad example of how much to the extent that we build our own reality rather than just perceive it or just kind of be reflexive to it. And I think, and this is now even beyond the political situation that we are in, and I can only hope that it will end with as few casualties to both sides as possible. But I also hope that Hamas will be completely abolished because I think it's a very, very dangerous movement with as few innocent casualties as possible. But irrespective of that, I just hope that that people will remind themselves to always question the way they construct reality, try to do that all the time, not only with respect to politics, but with respect to science as well. We find results. The easiest thing is to say, ah, I found what I was looking for. But we always have to ask ourselves, are the results that we now see, are they genuine? Are these the facts as they are in the world? Or is this what I want to see or hope to see? And sometimes we tend to see what we want to see and not the things as they are. So it kind of, I, I found myself now, well, you know, having this conversation in the midst of everything that is going on here in the region is not easy. But given that you asked about reality and the way we construct it, I found myself drifted towards this ongoing situation, which has been nothing but unbearable for us. Yes, I can see that way we register reality. It's shaped by our language, it's shaped by our history, it's shaped by, of course, in Israel and also the Palestinian experience being shaped by traumas. I think we live on the one hand, very exciting times with technological development, but on the other hand, we should also be careful. And I've seen studies showing the effects of screen time on brain development that are worrisome, in my opinion. So I, as a mother, continuously engaged in uh, a battle to minimize screen time for my own children, not always successfully, because I also understand that the world that we live in requires a lot of screen time. I think that social media in particular, and again, I can't take this interview out of context. We, ha we are having it while I am continuously exposed to hatred in social media, again, not only from one side, from all sides. People are scared, people are afraid, people are angry, and that finds its way into social media. And I can tell you that I personally, there have been several times in this past few weeks where I read things on, now it's called X, Twitter, and I was horrified by what I saw, horrified and disappointed and saddened. So did I, you know, disconnect? No, also a part of the system, but I also want to raise a critical voice. We hope you enjoy listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.